This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. On top of everything else, people in Gaza are dealing with an impossible question. What do you say to kids when there are bombs falling all around you? We try to calm the children down by telling them stories and telling them that these bombardments are only fireworks. That's Rada Al-Haddad, media and communications officer for Oxfam, speaking with NPR Wednesday from Gaza, where she lives. But she can't completely hide the truth from her nieces and nephews. Children or all, like my family children, started to realize that we are lying to them, and these are not sounds of fireworks. The situation in Gaza is dire six days after the militant group Hamas first launched its attack on Israel over the border. Hamas fighters killed at least 1,300 people, according to Israel. Israel's response has been crushing. As of Thursday, its military said it had dropped 6,000 bombs on Gaza. Israel claims it's hitting Hamas targets, but witnesses in Gaza tell NPR that entire blocks have been reduced to rubble. Al-Haddad says the nights are horrible. I cannot imagine what will happen in the following few hours. Am I going to be dead or alive? I really don't know. And you feel like also helpless. You cannot do anything. You just like wait for the day to come to see what happened in the night. Palestinian health officials say more than 1,300 people have died in Israel's strikes on Gaza. People there have nowhere to go. The border is sealed. And Israel has stopped the flow of food, fuel, water, and electricity into Gaza. It says the siege will continue until Hamas releases all the hostages it seized during its attack. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have tried to escape the bombing by sheltering at schools run by the United Nations. Not all of these schools are safe, very sadly. Uh, At least two of uh, these schools sheltering the displaced have been hit by airstrikes. Fortunately, we did not have any casualties during the time. Juliet Tuma, director of communications for the agency that runs the schools, spoke to NPR from Athens. People are terrified. I mean, we get all these messages. Um, luckily, there is a little bit of internet in the Gaza Strip. So uh, one staff member said to me, I think this is going to be the end for me and my family. One staff member said, we'll be in touch tomorrow if I'm still alive. And for many, many of them, um, this is like the seventh time that they go through an escalation in, in violence and a conflict. But they say to us that this is unprecedented. Unprecedented and likely to get worse. Israel has begun gathering troops near the border to Gaza in preparation for what appears to be a possible ground invasion. Consider this. It's been nearly a decade since the last major Israeli invasion of Gaza. We'll look at what happened in 2014 and what it can tell us about the days ahead. From NPR, I'm Ari Shapiro. It's Thursday, October 12th. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor JLL and their podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. It's gone through some upgrades recently, and it's churning out valuable insights on the industry to help you stay informed. Each week, you'll tap into a global network of commercial real estate professionals and hear about market trends, strategies, and best practices. So broaden your perspective. Subscribe to Trends and Insights, the future of commercial real estate at jll.com slash podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. It's Consider This from NPR. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is vowing to, quote, crush Hamas. More than 300,000 Israeli reservists have been called up to serve, all of which suggests a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip is imminent. The last time this happened was in 2014, and NPR's Emily Harris was in Gaza City to cover it. People who are in high towers in Gaza City say they can see bright explosions toward the north and eastern borders. And in the east, one man told us the electricity was off in his house, but Israeli flares and attacks were making the sky as bright as day. So how did things play out in 2014, and what lessons might both Israel and Hamas have taken from it? Reporter Greg Karlstrom also covered the invasion in 2014, and he now covers the Middle East for The Economist. He spoke with my co-host, Mary Louise Kelly. Greg, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So you were in Israel in 2014. Describe how did it feel on the eve of that ground invasion? The ground invasion in 2014 was almost an understated part of the war. It was a a war that had sort of been building up all summer, began with uh, Hamas kidnapping and killing three Israeli teenagers in the occupied West Bank. Uh, There was then a Palestinian teenager in East Jerusalem who was killed in response. There were mass protests that followed that. And for the first few weeks, it really was an aerial conflict between the two. That changed about midway through the war, and and Israel sent in limited numbers of ground troops, and the objective was to search out and and destroy uh, cross-border tunnels that Mm. Hamas had dug from Gaza into Israel. But it almost wasn't the main focus of the war. That's interesting. I mean, it does sound similar in some ways to what we appear to be watching unfold today with Hamas airstrikes on Israel, Israeli airstrikes coming into Gaza, clearing and, and I guess eventually prepping the way for infantry. So far, yeah. I think the the difference is in 2014, there were some members of Prime Minister Netanyahu's uh, government, some right-wing politicians, who were pushing for a large-scale ground invasion of Gaza. Netanyahu ignored those demands, partly because the army told him this would mean weeks of bloody urban combat. And so what happened were these much more limited incursions near the border between Gaza and Israel. I think now what it seems like the army is gearing up for is exactly what the right was pushing for in 2014, uh, which is sending several divisions worth of Israeli troops in with a goal of at least temporarily controlling the whole of Gaza. Hmm. 
You mentioned the tunnels. And I gather back in 2014, you had uh, fighting unfolding on, on three terrains in the air, on the ground, and then underground in all these tunnels where Hamas fighters could hide. Uh, yes, that's right. And, and they were a relatively new phenomenon at that point, and they hadn't been used really before. And, and they were used to, to rather striking effect. There was one day during that war where uh, a group of Hamas commandos emerged from one of these tunnels and, and carried out a raid on an Israeli military post, a, a military post inside of Israel, uh, which was shocking to a lot of people because they didn't expect that Hamas had the capability to infiltrate militants across mm. the border. That network of tunnels, according to both the Israelis and to Hamas, has expanded significantly since then. Hamas brags that it has dozens of kilometers of tunnels crisscrossing Gaza, and these are used to store munitions. These are used now to shelter members of the group's military wing from airstrikes above. And so if the Israelis are meaning to go in for a, a large ground operation, Part of that is going to involve going into these tunnels, which are, of course, very difficult environments for, for mm. any force to fight in. One thing that feels very different this time is the some 150 hostages being held by Hamas. Do we know how that may be factoring into Israeli calculations? We don't. You would think ordinarily in Israel, uh, if there were hostages being held, that there would be great public demand to try and free them, whatever it takes. But I think the public mood is a little different this time. Some of the rhetoric that we've heard from Israeli politicians in the, the coalition has been to the effect of, we can't let them dictate our war plan. And, and effectively, these hostages end up becoming uh, collateral damage. I want to ask about the cost of everything that unfolded in 2014. There's the human toll, of course. I have seen uh, it was more than 2,000 people were killed, mostly Palestinians in Gaza. I've seen estimates of several billion dollars worth of damage of homes and schools and infrastructure, and that the rebuilding hasn't been completed from then. And what, I guess now some of these repaired buildings just get leveled again? They do. Uh, it is a, it's a very perverse and, and depressing cycle in Gaza. I remember being there not long after the war in 2014 and, and driving through a neighborhood in eastern Gaza that had been heavily, heavily shelled by the Israeli army. And so block after block of homes had been destroyed. And I came across some teenagers who were there gathering up the rubble in carts, and they were taking it off to a, a factory somewhere else in Gaza that would crush that rubble and then use it as the substrate for a road that uh, they were building in Gaza. And so, so this is a place that has been under a very, very tight Israeli and Egyptian blockade for almost two decades now. So this is how you end up with people using the, the rubble of a home that's been destroyed in an airstrike uh, to build a road because there's, just, there's not enough material, there's not enough money uh, to, to do reconstruction after these seemingly endless rounds of war. Greg Karlstrom of The Economist, speaking with my colleague Mary Louise Kelly. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Ari Shapiro. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. 
Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast.